Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Well, this sucks. wall i'm kind of jealous yeah no doubt <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah my front entryway of my home is my home man cave my home office until i build we're looking to build a, <clears throat> a building out back but my wife is gracious enough to let me have the front entryway so <laughs> this yeah. and one other bedroom you'll see this you'll see this room and then there's a spare bedroom that's got all my white tails and any kind of texas stuff in it so. <clears throat> some pretty cool deer back there Man, yeah like this it. is all nicely done every, those are some nice mounts yeah, everything in here is archery and western. So all my mule deer, elk, antelope, and stuff like that are in here. And then, and uh, well, I got a bobcat I killed over here in East Texas. But that other room's got all my whitetails and my big hog and turkey and stuff like that. You know, but eventually, man, I'm gonna build me. A, you ever you heard of a beer joint? Back in the day, you go to a beer joint. A beer joint and a honky tonk's kind of the same thing. Well, I grew up in honky tonks and beer joints back in my twenties, <clears throat> and so. When I build my man cave, it's going to have a jukebox and a bunch of Waylon Jennings memorabilia, and it's going to look like a beer joint honky tonk, but it's going to have cool. all my heads hanging in it. So. Nice. nice. <laughs> yeah, but but I'm a devout Christian, but I still like beer joints. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I I gotta. I'm working on one for myself just because my wife said that's enough, no more. <laughs> so. Oh, she's seen enough of your dead animals in there. <laughs> yeah, I keep uh, like. Yeah, no adding to it every year there's a couple more and then my full mount cougar just came home so i'm kind of just like stuck at it just nonchalantly in <laughs> in the living room <laughs> she's like no just by the window oh, yeah. just like your little pet cat just looking outside <laughs> no more yeah i yeah. want to i just got back from a bow fishing trip in louisiana now my i am hell bent on getting a six foot plus alligator gar i want one as bad as i want a 200 inch mule deer they're like they're rare anything over six foot's rare so i want like a six or a seven foot alligator gar 
And I already told my wife that's a full amount. She's like, yeah, well, that's not happening until you get your other building because she don't want that in the house. <laughs> she's a pretty – my wife is awesome. We've been together since we were 17. She don't care what I do. She's super gracious, but she's just – she's like, look, man – we got to get you a building. We got to get all this stuff in one spot because now I got to walk people through like through the house to see all of it. And she's like, we just need it all in one spot. <laughs> so no, those are some nice, uh, nice muleys there. That's for sure. Yeah. I guess that's yeah, why right they call on, you the, the, the muley slayer, right? Eh? Yeah. I'm not the giant slayer, but I've shot a pile of mule deer. I've killed a bunch of them, man. And, and I love them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's cool. Hey, uh, where can I get one of your hats? I can send you one. I just got a bunch. I just got a whole nother order made. Yeah. I've been, I've dabbled in them. I've dabbled in them for a long time. And I finally, um, I just stumbled onto a guy that made these for me and they're exactly what I always, and that's what I always wanted. And so, yeah, man, I'll hook you up. Oh, those those will be a hit. Show some pictures of that. Yeah. Yeah. Give me a little IG love and I'll hook you up, man. (laughs) Do a little Instagram reel and everything and we'll get some real numbers going. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Heck yeah, man. No, I'll hook you up. Yeah. When we're done, you'll just shoot me an an address and I'll shoot you guys off uh, one. Yeah, we'll do a trade or something. That's awesome. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. So, you know, I knew the muley slayer, love hunt muleys. I uh, I actually only got into mule deer hunting probably in around 2000. Oh, man, like I started hunting mule. Like I lived up in northern BC and there was no mule deer up there. There was blacktails um, and a lot of moose. So didn't really get into mule deer hunt until I moved down to the southeastern part of the province. And I started getting into it around 2012. I slowly got into it and I started, you know, seeing how cool they were and you just just like they're they're just they're not like any other critter out there they're just you know they're they're you can't pattern them like whitetails you can't call them like moose or elk they're just there's something about them that just is completely different and i it took me a man it probably took me 2012 took me about four years three three years and i got i got one and then i slowly got better every year and then you know ever since then it's been pretty good and i found that you get out of it what you put into it. It all comes yeah. down to how much work you put into it before the season starts. You're scouting and all that stuff. Uh, but man, it, it's I'm just looking at some of those muleys on your wall, and yeah, there's there's something about mule deer that sure makes it a, them uh, unique and amazing. That's for sure. Yeah, I love them, man. I I just stumbled into them in my twenties, and uh, man, I've been after them hardcore ever since. So I'm in love with them. You got you guys have some great mule deer hunting up there, and. Some of you like about Alberta and Saskatchewan has outstanding mule deer, right? Especially yeah, Alberta. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah. do. I've never yeah. been up there. I've been I've been to Canada once. I went bear hunting Saskatchewan back in 2006. Um, but I've never been up there mule deer hunting. I haven't even killed a mule deer here in Texas. Oh <laughs> it's hard. Yeah, because it's yeah. like one percent of the state's pu- public, right? And, oh. yeah, and that's everybody's crazy. your and everybody's your friend. Everybody invites me. Turkey hunting, hog hunting, whitetail hunting nobody invites you to go mule deer hunting because it's such a you know anybody that has them knows what they have and they don't share and that's still, yeah. that's understandable because it's all private land here you know so i want to get a texas one someday but and a canadian and a mexico i'd love to go to mexico one hunt them, but yeah. right now Is i it, just stick to the mountains you know the inner mountains yeah yeah no doubt yeah um alberta saskatchewan they have a lot more and bigger mule deer than we do we have a lot of like mountain bucks so they tend to have bigger bodies and less antler size and then you yeah. get and then you get uh you get west and then you get into the blacktails so uh, we don't yeah. have a heavy mule deer population here but there's been some you know good mule deers taken out of uh out of british columbia some yeah um i think there was a 300 taken out of here i believe the oh, really? I didn't know that. yeah yeah the open I know actually we had one around town here 
that was kind of, it wasn't really a town. I won't call it a town buck, but it came to like the town limits and then it would head back up into the mountains. It was just part of its little routine or whatever. And someone ended up shooting it and it was 200 inch buck and it was like, it was big, but we don't see those genetics. Like we've got the genetics around, but our, our mule deer population in, in our Valley here took a big hit a few years back, just mismanagement and stuff like that. And habitat, we used to have tons. Yeah. So they're slowly making a comeback, but I don't know if we'll see them like we used to, but it is nice seeing like we're seeing more and more legal bucks every, every year, which is good. Well, that's that's a good thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think mule deer are taking a hit everywhere all over the West, even down the States. Aren't they Mark? Yeah. 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 I was super surprised. I found out today I drew a tag in Utah. I drew the, my archery tag that I've been wanting to get down there for a few years. And, um, I was a little worried because my friends that live and hunting that part of the state sent me the statistics and they cut the tags in half. Um, but luckily I was going in for a general point or a general tag with like five points. So I got the hunt. Um, but it, I, I was a little worried that I may not get it because the tags are cut in half. So if they're cutting tags in half, the deer are either not doing great or they want them. I, I hope they're wanting them to do better. Of course, I hope that's the reason, but I'm, right. I'm, I'm guessing they've taken a hit. They haven't had any bad winters down there lately, but mule deer, mule, mule, mule deer on earth period just aren't thriving anywhere. I mean, they yeah. pockets are thriving, you know, but their habitat shrinking and they're just not like white tails and coyotes. You know, they're not just, you can't just yeah. go put them somewhere and grow more of them. They don't, they don't operate like that. So. Yeah. They're, they're yeah. Little tough to have them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know they did a lot of stuff in Alberta and Saskatchewan with the mule deer. Like we can't just go to Alberta or Saskatchewan, like to hunt. Now we can get host, uh, like my brother lives in Alberta, so I can go hunt in Alberta mule deer with him, but I have to be, he has to hunt or host me and I can only do that every two years, I believe it is. And it's for archery wow. only. So, and that's a short window and, you know, archery hunting those mule deer and those big plains isn't the easiest, but, and in uh, Saskatchewan where they have the really big monsters, you can't even, they won't even allow out of, out of province guys over there to hunt. Oh, you have to no. be, no, you have to be a resident for two years before you're even allowed to hunt mule deer in Saskatchewan. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And there's some yeah. monsters there. I think the people in Utah wish it was like that there too. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So why don't we, uh, when we get rolling with, uh, Mark, maybe you could just tell the Canadian listeners here, you know, a bit about yourself and, uh, and how you became the Mealy Slayer. Okay. Yeah. You betcha, man. Told this story many times. I'd be glad to tell it again. Um, I'm born and raised in East Texas here, rural, rural East Texas, Longview, Texas, where I was born, grew up there until I was about 12, grew up small game hunting with my father and uncles and stuff and grandpa my, my great-grandfather actually owned a fish market on the sabine river and um back when you could commercially fish you know fresh waters in, in in the river and he'd sell fish at his fish market and stuff and just grew up around hard work and the outdoors and loved it and had a cousin that inspired me as a kid he was a bow hunter tommy young and he um he just inspired me to be well basically he was kind of like my light on the hill he was the guy i wanted to emulate in life and he was just a hardcore bow hunter always bow fishing coming to colorado and stuff and, um just looked up to him and then when i was like 12 i went to a yard sale and bought the bow archer's bible actually a book by fred bear and that super charged me and i uh, started mowing lawns saving money at 13 bought my first compound bow 
and fell in love with it. And I, from the minute I shot a bow and arrow for the first time, I knew that was going to be a huge part of my life, the rest of my life, no matter what, you know, but I started bow hunting at 13. I didn't kill a deer till I was 23. I had no one teaching me. I, I, Tommy was my cousin, but he lived up in Longview. When I was 12, I moved, I moved down to the Houston, Texas area where I lived with my mom and my stepdad, my brother stayed there. Um, and that's when I bought my bow and my stepfather, Bill Cathro, I love him to death. He, he taught me, you know, the value of a dollar and how to earn a dollar. He wasn't a big hunter. Actually, he started hunting with me as a teenager, got his first buck the year after I got my first buck um, with guns. And that was in 20 or in uh, 1984. I got mine in 84. He got one in 85. And then we would share my 3030. <laughs> I mowed lawns and stuff and worked at a convenience store. And, and I bought a 3030 and he had a shotgun. My mom bought him a shotgun and he, he killed a few deer with slugs and we'd share my rifle back and forth. But all along, I kept shooting archery. And as I became an adult, I started dabbling at 3Ds and shooting and, and really getting into bow hunting. But back then, bow hunting meant October. You know, October was bow hunting. And as soon as it was November 1st, man, I put that down, got my 25 out six and I was rifle hunting through the end of season for deer. That's just the way it was back then. And in 94, I moved out West to El Paso and got introduced to in El Paso, Texas with a job and got introduced to Western hunting. And then uh, went on my first mule deer. It was, it was closer to go hunt in New Mexico than it was to come back into Texas and hunt somewhere. So um, you could get an archery tag over the counter. I paid an outfitter 150 bucks a day for a weekend over Labor Day weekend. Me and my brother-in-law went putted around. I was working with him there in El Paso. We putted around. I'm like, shoot, man, we can do this on our own because it was national forest. We were riding around on ice chest with all but knocked arrows riding around the back of a truck. And (laughs) if you saw a fork and horn, shoot at it, right? This guy was letting us do whatever. He's like, yeah, get you a beer. Get you a beer and a sandwich. And And, and we went and I'm like, crap, man, I can do this on my own. I'm not paying anybody for this. But it was a great experience. I tell everybody, if you've never done something out west before, first time go with an outfitter, you'll learn what to do and what not to do. You know, it's if you can save the pennies, it's a huge learning curve if you just go with somebody and I did that. And then the following year I said, I can't live here no more. I can't live in El Paso. It's not a sportsman's location for like the hunt and fish. Don't live in El Paso, Texas. So I uh, took a job transfer to the four corners area, which up in Aztec, New Mexico, we had a Durango, Colorado branch of the company I worked for. We serviced the four corners region, which is Utah, Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico. Holy moly. That's the Mecca of big mule deer. You know, the world record typical, um, Burris killed right yep. there in Dolores, Colorado on the four corners. So, I mean, I went right to, I had the Hickoria, the Navajo Indian reservation and then four States. So I, and then I got to be best friends with Jeremy Duggar, the owner of the archery shop there in, in, in Farmington. And he started teaching me how to hunt mule deer. Cause he was a mule deer guru. He was, that was his passion. There's mule deer only. Um, the guy went elk hunting one time and killed a 380 bulls. Like, yeah, that was fun, whatever. <laughs> but he's killed. I don't know how many Boone and Crockett's Jeremy's killed. And if you follow me on Instagram, you'll see Muley yeah. Mojo. He's just my guy, man. He is my best friend. And, and, and we just shared so many great memories and camps together. But he also signed me on as a shop shooter for his archery shop through Hoyt as a co-op deal. So I got to shoot Hoyt bows. Um, Hoyt would sponsor me with product and I'd represent his store. And I started going around shooting local 3D events in New Mexico and Colorado. And man, I got really good at it. And, and I became a big fish in a small pond, you know, where I was winning a lot. And then I was hunting all four states, anywhere I could get a tag. And back then you could hunt all four of those states. There were always leftovers in Utah. There were leftovers on the Navajo. And you could buy in New Mexico, Colorado, 
and in Arizona, you could buy over-the-counter tags. So I would have wow. four or five mule deer tags in my pocket in September. And some of those New Mexico and Colorado, New Mexico and Arizona back then, if you if you didn't fill in September, you could hunt January also, hunt the late hunt. So I had a lot of experience um, hunting mule deer because that was my resource, right? So wherever you live, that's your that's your resource. You're only as good as the what's in front of you. And so mule deer was what I had the most of it was affordable. I was a blue collar guy. I'd get elk tags in my home state because I could buy them as a, re- you know, to get them as a resident, but I only killed a couple in New Mexico. I didn't do that great in New Mexico, but man, I started going to over-the-counter units in Colorado. Man, I get a bull every year. And that's what we really just thrived on eating the elk meat. And then, um, Oh, somewhere around 2000, I started trophy hunting where not trophy hunting, but just looking for mature deer. I was mm-hmm. looking for four. So I started off shooting spikes, forked horns. I didn't care. Three points. So just because I was killing four mule deer in September, they were all forked horns. So they were three points and two points and spike. But then, um, and when I got sponsored, that changed the game a little bit because you want to do good for your manufacturers, catalog pictures, and you just want to look better. You know, you want to look like, you know what you're doing. So mm-hmm. I started trying to up my game, shoot bigger animals. And so in 2000, I killed my first Pope and young mule deer. Me and Jeremy killed two great bucks. And one day he killed a big 28 inch three by three. And I killed a four point that made Pope and young that day and um, <clears throat> killed on the same morning on the Navajo. And uh, from there, I'm, right after that, I moved to Denver. Colorado and started shooting. Denver had a much bigger pool of 3D archers. I actually had a pro division in Colorado and there were some great professional archers living in Colorado that are still there today. And man, I jumped into the pro ranks and started shooting with those guys and started winning locally. So then I upped my game and started shooting nationally in the 3D circuits all along the South. So all those ASAs and IBOs, I started shooting a lot never won a national event, but I was always like in the hunt, you know, I was holding my own shooting. Well, well, all this comes out. So I was sponsored in 98 by Hoyt through a shop, but by 2001 or two, it was 2003, actually. um, I got picked up at Hoyt as a pro staff for Hoyt and I was shooting nationally. Then I started writing a lot, started writing in Eastman's hunting journal and Mm -hmm. Bowhunt America and Bowhunter and Peterson's and Bow and Arrow magazine. I started writing how to articles and, um, that propelled me then because they're on the national stage. If you don't have a TV show, the only way to be a national person, especially back in those days, if you're not a TV celebrity, if you're not Michael Waddell, if you're not something like that and you want to go to the next level, then you have to be a writer. And so I started writing good, putting good articles out in these bigger magazines. And then, man, that just propelled my career out. I got to know everybody. There's nobody in archery I don't know or yeah. shared a camp with or hunted right. with or seen or whatever. So that really was great. And um, did that until, I don't know, I, I kind of lost the 3D bug sometime along around 2010. I quit shooting the 3Ds and the state stuff. I moved to Texas in 2012. I wanted to come back to Texas. Had a great opportunity to relocate here. My wife and I have been married since we were 18. Her parents still live here. My parents are still here. Her parents are actually four houses down from us. They moved up here from Corpus after I moved back here and I'm in the Dallas area. Well, anyway, I took a job relocated back here and now I freelance a little bit of writing stuff, found Instagram, became Insta famous, 10,000 followers. That's how you guys know me. And that's just, I, it's just, I just love to plug my partners. I don't call them sponsors. I don't, um, I have a wonderful day job uh, in a career that I've built over 30 years. So I don't even try to make hunting my life. It's all for fun. It's my passion and I just share it. But I am still on Hoyt hunting, hunting factory pro staff. 
Um, got to be great friends with the Weatherby family. And so I'm on team Weatherby. So when I do pick up a gun, I shoot Weatherby rifles. Hunt with, and then um, another partner that I just went bow fishing with is Badlands, like uh, Badlands Packs. They've been oh, yeah. a partner with me since forever. I, I, their, their packs are really the only packs I've ever really used since 99, um, 98 or 99. I dabbled with a couple of others, but really when they invited me to be on their operative pro staff team in 2015, I joined that team um, officially never look back so i use their camo the approach camo and their packs and stuff so they're good partners so really all the sponsorships that i have that you see me in either the product catalogs or their commercials or anything these are just products that i already use i believe in them i believe in the people um mainly the people behind the brand and then i use their stuff and um it's all for fun man so that's that's kind of uh the muley slater nutshell and one day how i got muley slayer i was sitting on a on the edge of my bed one day and I was like, man, what am I doing? I need to compile all this stuff. I need to, I need to put it somewhere. And this is when I first got on Facebook and my friends had been calling me Muley Slayer for a long time. So I made this cool little banner and I came up with it and I went and bought the website and I started Muley Slayer. And that was 10 years ago. And, and here that, I am yeah, selling hats no, and no, that's still no, what I'm known <laughs> as, but I live, I live a thousand miles from mule deer, but I'm still the muley slayer. Everybody started calling me hog slayer because that's my resource now, you know, over in Eastern Texas, we have some of the world's largest, just big old nasty boars and I bow hunt them things a lot and a lot kill a lot of those because I can go do it any day. I want to go do it. So I kind of become the hog slayer, but I still have a deep burning passion for like, I have a burning passion for mule deer in all mule deer country, but I really only have a deep passion for Southern whitetails. It's really weird. Like I love the way East Texas, Louisiana and Mississippi whitetails, they have real dark bodies with a big black stripe, you know, right down the center of their back. They have those real chocolate antlers living in swamps, right? I love right. the look of the, so I only hunt those. I don't travel. I used to go to Kansas and oh, I don't yeah. go to Illinois, Kansas or anywhere else. I just specifically have a deep burning passion for Southern whitetails and then mule deer. So it's really, really a weird deal, man. I haven't yeah. killed an elk in like 10 years. So. <laughs> mule deer wherever. Oh, it's hard not to love mule deer. I mean, everything about yeah. them I love um yeah yeah so when did you get really passionate about shooting big mule deer you know i'm looking at some of these deer you got in your wall they're pretty impressive so when did you start like really buckling down and like having that deep passion uh for big ones let's see so so this may sound pompous or it might sound this may not sound appropriate but i'm gonna say it i don't believe i've ever killed a big one because i don't i think anything over 200 is big and i still don't have a 200 injured oh, but okay. i have a bunch pushing it right so 186 yeah. this buck right here uh 186 and some change that's my biggest archery buck colorado high country um my biggest with a rifle is 195 i got some that's 192s a, that's, a, that's a typical though right typical four point yeah i've never even killed yeah. a non-typical everything yeah, i kill a huge four buck point. like that that's that was big. what that was what did that one score sorry this one, one's 186 186 typical is a huge deer yeah, 186 and that one over there is 181 gross 177 net uh 160s and whatever so uh i started in i killed my first pope and young buck in 2000 and me and duggar were kind of hunting together and we said hey let's make a pack we'll never kill a fork and horn again okay but we both killed one that year and we said okay that's it but that was like in 90 <laughs> 98 or 99 we're not never going to kill another fork and horn but we still killed fork and horn but then in 2000 um I, after i it's one of those things where when i finally killed a nice one 
I was like, yeah, I'm not going to go backwards. I'm not going to kill smaller than that, you know, because I, I want to, you could end your hunt day. Once you know a little bit about it, you can go end your hunt yeah. on day one. And that's the reason I became such a passionate bow hunter was I wanted more time of field. You know, if you get an archery tag, you get a whole month to hunt when you live out West. But if I was only into gun hunting, I would only get a week. I'd get a week in each state. Well, if I bow hunted, I could get months to hunt. So that's why I really hardcore went at bow hunting. Um, <clears throat> And it takes a lot of willpower for a young man to stop shooting because I still believe any game is big game and all game must die with a bow. That's just my motto, man. Uh, I don't care if it's grasshoppers or whatever, man. You're out with a bow and arrow and you see something you want to shoot and you decide you want to take it. Chances are always your the odds are never in your favor, bow hunting. They just aren't. And so um, I respect and love everything I take with a bow and arrow. And, and I, there was a while I was trying for a while I was trying to convince myself that I, that my gun bucks meant as much to me as my bow bucks, and they mean a lot to me because of the camaraderie, the friend I was with when I shot them, and most of them were the Duggar. But I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna I mean a hard to swallow pill here. They don't mean as much. They don't mean as much to yeah. me as the archery ones. Anything that I take with archery gear means a lot more to me, and um, because of the amount of effort. And planning that I put into it. So that being said, with mule deer, I decided, mm, I don't remember when it was, but I just decided, look, I'm going to start shooting bucks that look like me. You know, they they breed some does. They kind of got fat bellies and gray hairs. They've been around a while. Those are the ones I want to shoot. I don't yeah. want to shoot the young ones that haven't had a full life yet. So score never, ever, hardly, hardly ever comes into play for me. Right. I'm going to look for the biggest buck on the mountain or in the valley or whatever through scouting or through intel or whatever. If none of that comes, if I don't find any intel or I don't glass up a big buck, then when I find a mature buck, I'm going to kill him. Mm-hmm. There's a buck on the wall over here I shot in Colorado with a rifle two years ago. Two years ago? 2020. He's a big four by three. Um, when I saw him, I, told, I was with my buddy Sean. I said, we need to kill that buck. A snowstorm blizzard. This big old buck just walking out in the snow. It was the biggest body deer I think I ever saw. And I told Sean, we need to shoot that buck, man. But we're on a migration route and those deer are moving and, and they're coming through oak brush. And you have to be very aggressive on that hunt. And Sean had never been on that hunt. And he just he just simply put, he wasn't aggressive enough, but got past him. I said, Hey, I'm not letting this buck get past us. I'm going to kill him. He said, kill him. Bam. I shot him. Went down there. It was just a big old chocolate mahogany antlered four by three. But we, t- I took him in because they had CWD, mandatory CWD aging or, um, you know, checking for CWD. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. there's a biologist on hand. And he, when I pulled up, he said, my God, that deer's ancient. And he pulled his mouth open and, um, he said the deer was unageable. That it was oh, over really? over eleven. It was over eleven years old. Wow! To me, I'll, that is worth two. That's a two hundred. To me, oh yeah. Who has killed a twelve-year-old buck? Yeah, no Who's kidding. Does, I mean, nobody does that, right? Yeah. So sometimes score does not matter. Now, in two thousand this year, this past season, I let my two hundred incher slip away, just like smoke through my fingers, man. I we found this giant buck. I had the story on Instagram, and I told it in my seminar at the Western Hunting Expo this year. Um, through Intel, we found a buck, we jumped him up, um, tracked him back down, got him bedded, found him the way he was bedded with his head in the cedar. I couldn't tell. I couldn't see his antlers. I couldn't even see if he had antlers on his head or not. I had this deer in my scope on a 257 Weatherby Magnum at 280 yards for one hour. My crosshair is on his ribs, finger on the trigger off safety. I, 
I was writing an article called uh, a pound and a half in glory. Cause I got a three pound trigger on my rifle and I had a pound and a half of that pulled out like three times <laughs> and I was going to smoke <laughs> that buck down and um, ended up, we, me and Tim messed around there and the deer got away from us. And sure enough, it was the buck we were after. And what's ironic is they went back looking for him between my hunt, which was a, a, a rifle hunt. Then there was a late season youth hunt where they get to hunt them in the rut. And there's two outfitters there hunting that same deer and an outfitter, uh, a governor tag holder the year before missed that deer, a muzzleloader hunter this year with an outfitter missed that deer. And then I had him in my crosshairs and didn't pull the trigger because I didn't know if it was the right deer or not. That deer turned out to be a 210 inch four by three. (laughs) That's how big, that's how big it was. It is giant. It was a gigantic world-class deer. And the reason I know that is when they went to scout, I told him where I, I tracked that deer seven miles. Um, last time I saw that deer, his tongue was hanging out and he was running with another big three by three and they were in front of me. And I tracked that deer until I just couldn't find him that day. I think we tracked him eight hours and uh, lost him. And then they went, I, and so my hunt ended after five days and I told him where, you know, Tim knew where the deer was at. So him and another guy went up there looking for that deer to kill on the youth hunt. And they went up by a water trough that was close to where I had the deer had ran from me from, and they found him lying killed there. Oh, wow. And oh, he looked man. like he, and that was three weeks after the hunt that I was on and the deer, like he'd been dead right at three weeks. I think, wow. I believe we ran that deer ran until he was just wore out. Cause I stayed oh, yeah. on him, man. As long as I had tracks, I was coming after him. I mean, I wasn't like running him down, but I was following him, tracking yeah. him. And I think the deer just got up there, beat down, and was old and big and laid there. And you know how mountain lions are. They kill the big, mature bucks. That's what yeah. they prey on the most because they're solitary animals, right? And uh, anyway, that was the biggest buck I think I've ever had the chance that I literally, you know, like knew I was going to shoot a deer over 200 inches. Um, and he was just big. I didn't know what he was scored, but I knew he was big, you know. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's crazy a big story. deer. It, yeah, that is. It's funny how you mentioned there you have you have two different categories because that couldn't be more true. I mean, I, I know I have, I've got a, a class of deer, uh, anything that you're going to shoot. It's going to be, if you're shooting with a gun, it's definitely a lot higher class of animal than it is with, uh, with the bow. Yeah. You seem to you lower your standards, not lower your standards, but it's just so much harder getting when a in, real nice when it gets close, you're going to shoot it with a bow. It's just hard not to. Yeah. Unless absolutely. you're just one of these super premium elite guys like Sean Morgan or Randy Ulmer that, um, they just only hunt world-class deer. I'm just not that guy. I am now a traveling out-of-state hunter. You know, I, I'm the muley slayer and I love mule deer. I don't live in mule deer country. So when I leave, I'm going just like everybody else. I'm going on a week's vacation. I'm going back to areas I know hold, that hold deer. And when I find one that trips my trigger, I'm going to, I'm going to kill it. One of my, <clears throat> probably one of my most prized treasures, um, favorite bucks I've ever killed is a non-scoring, he's hanging over here, four by three. I called Lucky Seven, and I wrote that article for Mule Deer Foundation. Um, that's what I called him. That deer had like nine lives, man. That deer was a five or five year old four by three. But I watched. I was in Utah for fifteen days, and this is a unit that has gun hunting. So this wasn't one of those exclusive archery only Utah hunts. This was there's gun hunts in there. So the age class was just not there. Finding a big older buck was kind of hard. But I I found these little pockets of deer and I stayed in there 15 days. I slept 14 nights on the mountain. I never let I'd go down and get water if you had to haul water. I'd call I was hauling four gallons of water four miles just to have water on that mountain. And I stayed up there and that was in 2015. And on the 15th day, I killed this buck and I'd watch two other hunters miss him in those 14 days 
and I slipped in. I just went all in, just dove off a canyon. I knew there were deer down in this real thick, nasty draw. And I just went, I, I got down, stripped down to just my shorts. I had a leafy jacket on, painted my face. I was, I'm just going all in today, man. And I just dove off in there uh, with just socks on, climbed down the bottom of this canyon. And I mean, I walked right up on five bucks in their beds and they didn't even know I was there. They knew something happened. They just stood up. And when that biggest one, I knew who he was, that four by three, I shot him. And man, it was just, it was the most meaningful I just gave everything on that and got him. That was one of my favorites. And he's, he was, he was mature. He was gray, fat belly, four by three, not huge, but older deer, but man, just the way that all played out. Yeah, that one's awesome. going to stick with me a long time. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, I have the same thing with mule deer. Like I've, I've been, you know, I, I don't have nearly as, as many mule deer as you do. I've, I've done pretty good over the last couple of years, but it's taken a lot of hard work. And I found, um, last year I didn't get as much time to scout and it's definitely reflected in mule deer hunting. But again, then, you know, I, I was, uh, hunting a different area and I wanted to, you know, I was bound and determined last year, I was just going to hunt bow only last year, all year. So, uh, made things a little harder. Um, but yeah, the, the, my most memorable one is, you know, it's just a plain, small four by two, um, nothing special, but you know, just the, with the effort it took and, and the way I, I ended up retrieving it is, you know, it's just something I'll never forget, but, uh, it's, yeah. uh, you mentioned at the beginning, you were shooting, you know, just smaller, smaller class bucks, working your way up to getting to where you're like, finally one day, okay, you know what killed enough of these now, you know, I'm going to be a little more picky on, you know, what class of meal deer I want to harvest. Now it seems like you get guys, all they're worried about is score. They want to jump from not zero to like top of the list. They want, you know, over 200 inch mule deer and they haven't put the time. And I imagine you must get that a lot. Like guys just, you know, drilling you for questions or asking, you know, Hey, I, uh, I've never shot a mule deer before, but I want to shoot my, I want my first one to be a 200 inch mule deer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get it a lot, man. They, I, well, I used to get, Hey, I don't want your honey hole. I just want a spot. Well, yeah, you, you really do want a honey hole. You want me to just put a dot on a map for you is what you really want. Just say yeah. it, man. You want me to put a dot on the map and then you want to just go shoot the biggest buck on the mountain. Well, so do I, man. But um, I used to be like that. Like I would want that, but now I don't want that. I do not want anyone to put a dot on a map telling me it was a big buck. I want the experience just to unfold for me that I found it and I killed it because of my own merits, because of what I'm able to get accomplished. Um, and I don't want any intel. I mean, I would love for someone to tell me, Hey, yeah, man, I scouted up this giant buck. And that's what happened with my biggest buck ever. My 195 buck. I got the tag with one of my buddies. That's an outfitter in New Mexico. And I applied through him so I could get the tag because he was a, a larger allotment went to outfitters. Well, he's my friend. So he got, we, me and Jeremy Duggar both got the tags through my outfitter friend and man, all these guys got together and they wanted to help me and they all found the buck. And I literally marched out of camp, climbed up on the hill and I was the assassin and I killed my biggest mule deer. It was a beautiful moment, man. It was a great deer, 195 buck. We called him Decepticon. Everybody thought that deer was in the one eighties and nobody else wanted to shoot him. I took one look, said, no wait, man, that thing's boom. I'm shooting him. He was 195. He had real light tips, so it looked like he didn't have any tips, but oh, they yeah. were light colored. Oh, and I guess yeah. I had the sunlight, whatever. It was a huge deer, man. And I got him and I love him. And I'm so proud of him. And um, it was a great deer. Tail in comparison to that little four by three, I spent 15 days on the mountain and finally killed my bow and arrow. Again, would I trade any of it? No, they were all different experiences. Yeah. But but yeah, I think people that just want the want to, if you want to kill a deer, like if you don't have a passion. You don't have the experience of hunting, but you want the fruit of something like that. You want a 200 inch deer. That's all you really care about. 
well, you probably want to be famous also. That's probably why you want that. So that you can get some recognition for being a great hunter and not tell everybody, you know, I'm, I'm that older wisdom guy now. And I tell everybody you can be, be careful about, be careful with fame. Uh, because if you set out to be famous, it's probably not going to happen. But if you go do something great and you become something great in life, the fame's going to come no matter what. Go do what you love, and if something comes of it, great. But if you're setting out to be famous, you're just going to fall short. And uh, I think killing a, you're going to have a lot more people not liking you if you're a, if you're not passionate about mule deer and you just want a 200 inch or so that you have that credential. You know, you have that street cred of a two hondo. Yeah. Um, man, yeah, you might. I do, and actually, I know a guy in the industry. He's only killed a couple of deer. He's killed a couple of really great big deer, but he but he doesn't have any. He doesn't have any depth. Right. You can't sit around the campfire and talk about remember wins with this guy because yeah. he's been on a couple of hunts, killed a couple of big deer. And then it's like, he's talking about crap that I'm not interested in. You know, yeah. Yeah. I better sit down with, an, with a guy that's killed 15 bucks that are over 150, 160 and some, have some good meat potato stories. Oh yeah. Then a guy that's gone and killed a couple of big ones. And then just, just, he just kind of fizzles out there, you know? And, yeah. And that might be far from what you asked me, but, but that's my opinion on all of that. That's where I'm at on all of it. And I don't, I don't take away from anybody's achievements. I don't take away from that man's achievements, but, yeah. but I don't like for someone to go shoot a big deer and then want to put themselves in the same category as a guy that's got a whole lifetime experience that may not yeah. have that size deer, but has all these other ones. Yeah. And, there is no comparison with that. <laughs> no, it's all. just not, man. There's just no, no there's just no uh, depth to that person or to his own experience. So no, See, and I'm, I think if if you want to if you want just a world class animal, whether it's a mule deer, elk, doesn't matter what it is, I think you best just to save your pennies and go through yeah. a guide and get it. I think that's yep. uh, if you're gonna do it. But then again, you're not gonna have that ain't gonna do you any good because I mean, I mean. Like as a hunter, I grew up hunting. I want to be able to pass this knowledge on to my children. You know, my dad taught me the things he knew. Obviously, I took the stuff that he knew. And, you know, my dad wasn't a backpack hunter, so it kind of evolved in different ways. But, you know, I, you want to pass that knowledge on through generations and generations. And if you're just out to get a big deer or a big elk or whatever it is you're going to get, um, you're not going to have those if you're, if you're not putting the time into to learn all the, you know, the hardships are the biggest thing, I think. Oh yeah. And that's what I cherish the most is no, that's, I listen to Bobby Worthington, a great whitetail hunter and listen to him on Southern Outdoorsman podcast. Um, that's a podcast I was just on with a whitetail that I killed this year and I was listening to it. And he said, I would gladly trade all of the, all of the butt I've had inside 20 yards of my tree and didn't get for all of the ones that I have got because he's had some giants slip through his fingers and he's got walls of giants. So I can't even imagine what his wall would look like if he had those, but man, I find myself daydreaming about the ones I did not get way more than thinking about bugs I've killed, you know? But if it um, wasn't for those ones that, if it wasn't for the ones that got away, you wouldn't have the ones you have on your wall today. No, no, no. They all teach me something. And yeah. I think them Paul. I think them for lesson, whether yeah. if they die at the end of the hunt or if they get away at the end of the hunt, I thank them for the lesson because they all teach me something. Yeah, absolutely. All of them. For me, it's the memories that come. Like for us, uh, our our deer, our mule deer are coming into the rut, you know, beginning in November. Uh, and it's, you got about nine days where they're really running around for the most part, where, where I am in BC anyway. Um, the big boys usually don't come down lower until like the 15th or so, but by then the season's over. But when you go hunting in the beginning of November, it's after it's about, a week and a half after elk season has shut down. So by then the elk have totally chilled out and 
I was talking to Kevin about this, another podcast. I brought my brother out here for his first mule deer hunt and everything. I was like, no, everything's in starting in the rut for deer. And we'd run into herds of elk and we're within 30, 40 yards of, of elk that are still bugling. Cause it's getting cold out <laughs> and they're all frisky. And it's like, I don't even want you guys anymore. Like, this is cool. I want that buck. I know that's, you know, still another half mile past you. And I know he's somewhere over in there. And you guys are in between and you have to, you have to stalk this, this elk herd basically to get to where you want to go. And right. it was like virtually every day we were in the elk and the elk were our biggest pain in the ass. Wasn't, it wasn't the deer. It was like, I know those deer somewhere in that vicinity, but it was trying not to have the elk blow out. So now you got those, those great memories of those interactions with the elk and it's just like no i'm not even trying to hunt you anymore like you guys are good like piss off <laughs> like I'm trying to yeah. get that other guy over there it's eating all your grass <laughs> sure you he ended up getting one though didn't he Pete? that was his first meal yeah yeah he yeah. uh he was actually yeah. on the one day off my wife had from work so she was a little pissed about that because that was the day i would have taken her out oh <laughs> so she still claims that was her buck but oh, yeah, yeah he got a nice one i did a euro mount for him it's actually his birthday today too so Awesome. I posted that up and yeah, I did a Euro mount for him and he'll have to come down and get it because can't really ship that up to him. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's never hunted anything like that. And he got a beautiful, beautiful four point. No, it's actually, it was a five by four, a couple weird stickers on it. And yeah, the, the, the smile on that, on that guy's face was, was something else. He's never hunted anything like that. So yeah, there's yeah. nothing like, there's nothing like the first in hunting, whether yeah. it's your first or somebody else's that you're with. You can't beat the first of anything, especially, um, you know, when you get, I mean, it's, it's awesome when you get your first, because you've seen, you know, you've, you've been through the hardship, you work so hard and then, you know, you had so many failures and then when it finally works together, all the stars align and you connect on it, it's, it's awesome. But at the same time, when you're with somebody and, and it happens for them, it's, uh, you know, for the most part, it's just as special. Boy, I, oh, I was probably jumping higher than he was, like up and yeah. down, just stoked yeah. for him, just like yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I have two, I have two grandsons, and the third one on the way. I'm gonna tell you something. My son grew up hunting. He's my he's my number one hunting partner, but he wasn't hardcore. He didn't have the bug hardcore, but he's a good hunter. He 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 hunts a lot now. But my two grandsons, my daughter, uh, she's the oldest. She had her son's Mason. He's 10 or 11 now and Carson's eight, but both of those kids, I've been with them when they shot. Um, I took them, they got hogs with rifles. And then my other grandson, Carson, got him a deer this year, a doe with, with a gun, man, not, nothing. <laughs> Even though just, it, it, I, there's a video. If you go back 2020 in the winter of 2020 on my Instagram, me and Mason are in a ground blind. It's a tent, little ground blind that my cousin has set up for um, archery hunting. And he said, man, there's been a bunch of hogs coming in here. And I took Mason in there. Mason fell asleep on the ground and I couldn't, this boar, <laughs> this nice boar came in, this like nice boar, man. I could see his teeth and everything. He's right there at 12 yards, just gobbling the corn up. And I can't wake Mason up. And Mason had on this brussily jacket. It was not even a real hunting jacket. And, <laughs> And I, when he wakes up, he sleeps really, really hard like my daughter. 
like his mother. And man, when he woke up, he just sat up and the hog ran off. I'm like, dude, there was a boar right there. He was deflated. And as we're sitting there, I'm just looking, I'm just sitting looking at his face going, man, you just blew a majorly awesome. And all of a sudden his eyes get huge and he points. And I look, there's 15 hogs right here. coming in, And he gets that 22, out the window. And the biggest sow out there was 120 pounds. Man, he shot her in the eyeball, dropped her. And I went, absolutely freaking retarded stupid nuts in that tent <laughs> and i just oh my gosh man like i'm i'm crying laughing you know and you can see it also on that video and he's he look mason <laughs> he was at that age where his, his uh he lost some teeth so he just had like one like i call yeah. him his walrus oh, yeah. tusk he had just one big tooth and he has a lisp anyway i just killed a hog and man, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm freaking out i'm like man i would trade everything i've done in hunting for that and then, yeah. and then, and then Carson, he, Carson don't get too worked up. He's just a stone cold killer. That guy, Mason, he scares me a little bit. Mason gets emotional about it. Like me, like excited. Yeah. Carson's just like businessman, <laughs> dusted it, toasted it, got yeah. it. You don't like, he shows no emotion. He'll like knuckle you a high five, but he's like, just business for him, man. He's a killer. But yeah. Like, I'm just killed. waiting for my sponsors to show up. Yeah. He yeah. killed a big old, <laughs> he killed a big old 200 pound boar. And then the next day he got that dough and man, he had like, it was his weekend, man. He was, but they love it, man. And now I just found out on mother's day, um, that Travis and Cameron, that's my son. Um, they're, they're pregnant and we just found out it's a boy. So all my oh, third right grandson. Congratulations. So yeah, nice. I'm, Congratulations. I'm, 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 I'm Jack. That'll be my eighth grandchild. Wow, <laughs> but wow. I think that, and Car Travis always said he was going to do five. So we'll see. I don't know. His wife may be like, nah, but that my daughter has three daughters and a son. And my son has two daughters and a son and then this other son on the way. So pretty amazing. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Well, they, yeah. it's pretty, uh, pretty lucky for those kids who go up they have a grandpa you know the mealy stairs the grandpa get to pass on all that knowledge that's pretty awesome oh yeah every grandkid means this is time for me to go buy another gun and i don't yeah. discriminate i'll take girls and boys hunting or fishing my daughter um when we were, we were living in colorado when my daughter was a teenager and i felt like I, my connection with my daughter wasn't quite there the way i wanted it so i booked us a hunt in texas and me and her jumped on an airplane um she brought her mom's target bow and when she was 13, she killed her first pig with a bow and arrow down here in Texas. Wow. Awesome. And now she, and she's killed, she's killed, I don't know how many hogs she's killed with a bow. She shot a mule deer. She shot a ram, you know, on one of these hunts. She shot like a Corsican ram with a bow and arrow. And she just, she's a 33-year-old mom of four. And wow. they they did really good on their, and my, her husband is a sheriff deputy there in Tennessee. They live in Tennessee. And this year she had a really good income tax return. <laughs> and she's like, hey, I want a new bow. I want my own bow that I bought. And so I ordered her up a Hoyt Eclipse and she came in. Nice. There's pictures from last month on my Instagram. And man, my daughter, number one, she's like an 11. She's a supermodel. She's five, nine blonde, just a beautiful lady. And then she shoots as good as any man I know. So she's like, <laughs> she's like, we call her super Casey because she's just awesome. amazing. She's an amazing lady, beautiful, and she's deadly. <laughs> and so she's coming out and I always, she always comes and hangs around camp. We have a big camp where we hunt over in East Texas. And when they come in, she usually hangs around the campfire with the kids and I take the boys out. But I told her this year in October, I was like, bring your bow. And uh, my wife will go watch the kids and I'm going to take her and put her in a couple of my stands, let her shoot some of my deer and shoot some hogs with her bow and stuff. Cause she loves it. Like she loves bow hunting only like Travis. He don't care. Crossbow, rifle, recurve, shotgun, muzzleloader. He likes all of that. Mm -hmm. Casey, she's just straight bow hunter, straight up. 
she wants to bow on everything. So I'm going to put her back into hunting. And we're going to have a good time with that. Yeah, that's awesome. There's awesome. just, just, you know, there's just, it's hard not to be romantic about bow hunting. It's just, uh, you know, if for guys who don't do it, you just can't explain it. And for the guys who do it, they know it. Yeah, I do. But Adam Weatherby, if you're listening, I still love you, brother. And I do love your gun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, he knows, he, Adam knows I'm a bow hunter at heart. He's like, he goes, I love bow hunters. I just hope that when bow hunters do pick up guns, they pick up Weatherby's. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, you know, just a great American brand. And they're just such good Christian people that it's hard yeah. not to support those guys. So, yeah, no, uh, we've had Adam on the show. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's a great guy. I wonder if he's ever shot uh, a bow. I don't know, but I want to get him into him. a Hoyt really bad. I might just, <laughs> I might just buy him one and send it one day and just say, Hey, you're a bow hunter now go shoot this thing. Problem yeah. is he'd probably love it. He's like, he don't have the bandwidth to be jacking around with a bow developing cartridges <laughs> and stuff. But I no. know Adam and if he, if he tried it, if he had just one sliver of success with that thing, he'd be hell. He'd probably start building bows. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I honestly you know. think too, that if you, when you start bow hunting and you like, I won't even say like, if you kill anything, it doesn't even matter if you get close to animals that yeah. like as close as you have to get to actually harvest one, even if you have to resort back to your rifle to fill the freezer, whatever, I believe it honestly makes you a better hunter overall. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah because you have to overcome so many more uh, adversities just to get to that point of even being able to pull the trigger. You know, I know lots of guys and I totally respect them. You know, it's like, I dropped that elk at 600 yards. That's an impressive shot. You know, didn't go 20, just dropped right there. And it's like, yeah, I'd rather tell you, I heard that sucker breathing behind me or it had three gray whiskers off its nose or something like that. To me, it's just nothing against them, but it's like, you've had to work. You've had to think, You've had to overthink to get to that position to actually take that animal, especially if you're on the ground. Yeah. And oh, you know, yeah, like there's sure. so many things that come into play with it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's so many, there's so many things that could go wrong when you're that close to an animal and it's uh, you know, their natural instinct is they want to live. And um, you know, when I first started bow hunting, yeah, you get uh, real humbled about how I'm not going to say bad of a hunter you are, but just how, you know, it's just a combination of how loud you are, how much, you know, just all the things you do wrong that you don't have to do when you're at 150, 200 yards. Yeah. Yeah. You have to remember it's their life. Yeah. It's, it's fun for you, but it's their life. They, they yeah. live and they outsmart a lot of animals mm-hmm. to stay alive, to get to that age, you know, and you're just a peon compared to a, you know, a mountain lion is the greatest mule deer hunter of all. Somebody asked me at my seminar this last year in February at Salt Lake, they're like, who is, if you had to say the very best mule deer hunter in the world, who is it? It's like any given mountain lion anywhere, any yeah, day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They kill them with their hands and teeth, man. And here you just want to get close enough to shoot it with a bow, but mountain lions are just amazing hunters. But, uh, and two, they just killed the biggest buck I was ever after. So I was like, man, I'm going to have to start hunting like a mountain lion. If you want to prey on, if you want to, that's kind of what my theme of my seminar was. If you want to prey on big, mature, solitary bucks, just go hang out around water holes and cliff edges and things where big bucks go, go hang out. That's what mountain lions do. Yeah. <laughs> that's where I always yeah. find deadheads. And that's start finding consistency, start pinning where you find deadheads that are big and mature and say, hey, okay every one of these have something in common. It's, you know, what kind of drainage was it? And how was the lay of the land there? What's the wind typically like there? Well, mountain lions keep up with that. They know where to hunt down and kill big bucks. And mm-hmm. so I started paying attention to that really, to be honest with you. 
So yeah, they to, have the genetics to kill. Like those mountain lions, they're just they're built to kill. They're impressive animals. I've hunted mountain lions and they are just one impressive animal. Them and wolves, like next to wolves. I mean, you know, wolves are pretty impressive too, but they need a pack to do it. Where a mountain lion, it's just, you know, they run solo. Yeah. And man, they're effective at what they do. Which yeah. is even crazier on your one mule deer, as old as it was. Yeah. Like you think so, of yeah. how, how many oh, yeah. or how many predators, humans, yeah. everything, it outsmarted. Yeah. Until oh, yeah. It you didn't know, or until it didn't outsmart you. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. It, 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 well, it's like, I think he was like, because it was brought, I shot him in the middle of the morning, like 11 o'clock, snow coming down sideways. It was beautiful scenery, man. Like, it's that in your mind's eye. You're like, do you ever picture the most, the biggest mule deer you've ever seen walking slow and stiff legged? in the snow and you've got a weather with a 14 power scope it was like wow i know i'm going to get him you know like when i knew when i realized sean wasn't going to shoot him i knew i was going to shoot him and i knew i was going to get him i'm pretty sure i was going to get him and when i shot him and went up there i was like yeah that's, that's a big old deer man and he's impressive he's nice but then when i found out what i really shot it was like it was almost surreal for a minute because he was so big like it was abnormally big long body dark um, but then when I started looking at his teeth and, and, and then when that, and then when that, I knew he was old, when that biologist said, this deer's not even ageable. When you get the teeth that low, it's just like, I started thinking about that stuff. Like what, how many, wow, he lived through that bad winter that, you know, that killed mm-hmm. all the deer back, yeah. you know, so many years ago. And he lived through mountain lions and wildfires and man, who knows what also, but he didn't, he didn't have any bullets or broadheads in him. So, yeah. he, you know, at least that was cool. But uh, I've killed several mule deer that had scars, mountain lion scars on the inside of their thighs. I oh, killed yeah. a buck still in velvet one time in November that had fresh scars um, from like maybe from that summer that were across his scrotum and inside his thigh. And I think a lot of times those mountain lions, when they try to catch bucks, you'll see a lot of cactus. I think that's why when you see a lot of these cactus mountain bucks that have either um, d- d- mutilated or testicles gone, a lot of times I think mountain lions, that's when they try to catch them, you know? Oh, yeah, and, they, yeah. and they and they give them a little, <laughs> yeah. and then they turn into cactus bucks. But I've killed several mule deer that had big scars on the inside of their thighs from mountain lions. Oh, yeah. Huh. yeah. Interesting. Yeah yeah pretty crazy yeah those things yeah i mean it's impressive when you think of really of like what a deer has to go through to survive and especially like to die of old age it's pretty impressive you know for the ones that do uh make it that far you think like you know like a a mountain lion needs a deer every nine to ten days it's got to be it's got to be killing it's got to be eating a deer and then you have you know where depending where you are you got wolves bears you know, wolverines, coyotes, you know, you name it, humans, vehicles. Yeah. Yeah. When you start talking like that and thinking like that, that's when you finally appreciate that because you've matured into a real sportsman, a real hunter, a conservationist. You know, that's when I, when I was 26, I wanted to know everything I could find about killing a mule deer. Mm-hmm. That's when I really had the bug at 26. Like that's when I knew I had it. Like this is, I wanted to know everything I could about killing a mule deer. Then when I was 46, I would tell people, man, I'm, now at 46, I want every, I want to do everything I can to save a mule deer, to yeah. have a mule deer. And that's when I became a life member of the Mule Deer Foundation. And now Muley Slayer is a sponsor every year of the Mule Deer Foundation. And that's when I go out to Salt Lake. You know, I don't, um, I, I, that's my donation back to that. You know, they take care of me when I get there, but I don't charter them anything. I just go out there and I give my seminars on how to and try to promote good ethical hunting and conservation of mule right. deer. 
And uh, man, they need us like more than yeah, they do than ever right now. You know, if we're going to talk about them, um, we need to talk about that too. You know, hunting them down yeah. and killing them and eating them is awesome. Love it. But if you don't have them, you don't get to do any of that stuff. Yeah, exactly. And so, man, um, I tell everybody at that big show. Have you ever been to the Western Hunting and Expo? Western no. Hunting and Conservation no. in Salt Lake. It's it's the biggest, baddest, coolest hunting Western hunting show there is, man. And it all that money goes to you know back to conservation. Those conservation tags are. You know, there's a little bit of controversy about it all, but I've studied the science. I follow the money. It's it's good for deer. It's good for deer hunting. The Mule Deer Foundation absolutely puts money on the ground in mule deer country. And man, you walk in there and everybody goes in there to buy their hats and their supplements and then all the cool stuff and the trendy stuff. But you have to walk right past the Mule Deer Foundation booth. I'm like, man, before you go spend 50 to $100 on all your supplements and T-shirts to go along with it to look cool, you got to walk right past the Mule Deer Foundation booth. Stop and spend your $35 there. You mm-hmm. get four issues a year of MDF magazine. You're putting money on the ground in Mule Deer country. And, you know, the numbers need to be up, you know, just like with Hal or anything else. We all, Our numbers need to be up all across the board. Um, I'm a I'm a member of – if I hunt your state, I belong to your hunt, state hunting organization. Awesome. So, like – like right now, I'm a current member of the Utah Bow Hunters Association. Mm-hmm. I'm current in the CBA, Colorado Bow Hunters, LSBA, Lone Star Bow Hunters. If you hunt that state, be a member of their deal and be have have the numbers, show support mm-hmm. for what we're doing. Same thing for mule deer. Mess a little bit of a soapbox, but I got to put it in there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Man. No, you, it's, you got it, to it, man. It, well, you have to. You're not if if we don't do if we don't put back into it, we're not. You know, it, it's not us. It's going to be our kids, and that's when I really got involved in looking at it at, in a different light. Is when my kids start coming around and getting. You know, my oldest is ten now, and he's a new hunter this year. Um, but you know, when he was about four or five years old, I really started to think, I'm like, Hey man, like I need to start paying attention to what's going on here. Long-term, not just what I want for the short term, because at the end of the day, it makes no difference how many mule deer I harvest. If there's not mule deer on the landscape, it doesn't mean anything because if without the next generations getting access to it, it's all for nothing. Right. Absolutely. Thanks again uh, for hopping on the show. I know we had kind of a scheduling there blip on my part, but uh, you know, I really appreciate your time and it's always fun to talk uh, mule deer. And I mean, uh, we didn't really get into any of the mule deer tactics, but uh, it's just great to, uh, to catch up with you and and talk mule deer. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. Anytime I've been on a bunch of podcasts and I enjoy doing them and they all, it always seems like we get to talking and we don't ever talk tactics. <laughs> yeah. I think the only, I was on one, one time and I finally got to talk about how I approach high country mule deer and stuff. And, uh, but it, it really don't matter because yeah. with mule deer, there's not a book. I mean, Robbie Denning is a great friend of mine, mm-hmm. a great friend of mine and, and the Eastman family. And they've all written books on mule deer hunting. And those books get you pointed in the right direction. Robbie's got a new book coming out. If you guys haven't had Robbie on, you need to get him on. Yeah, Robbie's 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 good man, and he's got a new book coming out. I wrote the forward for him actually. It's pretty oh, awesome man. to get yeah. asked to do that. So me and Robbie are wonderful uh, brothers in Christ. We're good friends, and and we share a lot of info in his books and David Long's books. Um, I'm in both of David Long's books. I got articles in there. Those get you started in the right direction, mm-hmm. but really. The best way to learn mule deer hunting is just to go get after them, man. Yeah. Because there's no book can teach you the things you're going to learn on the ground. No, man. And like, like I said, that's that's one of the things that I drew me instantly to mule deer is because you can't, you can't call them. You can't pattern them no matter what you do. Just when you think you got them all figured out, uh, they let you know <laughs> yeah, you don't. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 
yeah. okay mark we're gonna we're gonna let you go and thanks again you got anything to add pete oh as uh maybe if we get you on again next time we'll try to focus on tactics right away and then we'll yeah. go into the bsing afterwards sure <laughs> let's let's yeah. do it let's do a 2.0 just whenever you guys are ready okay Sounds great good. awesome thanks a lot mark Thank and uh, we'll talk to you later pete yeah have a good one Again, everyone for tuning in to the focus hunting podcast it's coming at you as part of the waypoint outdoor collective quick shout out to the sponsors of the show vortex optics the best in optics period backroads maps books never get lost with backroads maps aku boots yo to your feet scree hunting gear now if you guys check the show notes you're going to find some promo codes use them save a bit love you guys talk to you soon <laughs>